Welcome to the Ugly Truth. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. Step four, separate the right from the left. Step five, separate the white from the black. Step six, separate the rich from the poor. Use religion and equality to separate them more. Step seven, fabricate a problem made a lie. Step eight, put it on the news every night. Step nine, when people start to fight and divide, take control. This is called situation. Design. They can't stop us, cause we're ready to fight, trying to brainwash us, but we won't let freedom die, the whole world's brainwashed. Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets, the whole world's brainwashed. It's us against them, it ain't you against me. We're with you, Tom. We will not back down. This is the ugly truth. Hard to listen to but impossible to ignore. Nebraska Public Media has put together this documentary on fighting fires and working fires and the fact that there is a volunteer fire department crisis in this country. Mm-hmm. And so... Not just, just in Nebraska. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was featured in Nebraska and the footage from is from Nebraska, but it is all across the country. So they had a premiere broadcast of this, but if you missed it, you get to see it again tonight. It is also on YouTube. You can watch it on YouTube anytime. You can just search up the Working Fires, Volunteer Fire Departments in Crisis, or just go to our channel right now, or if you're watching, just sit tight and you're gonna see this. So in more than 450 Nebraska communities, volunteer firefighters and medical teams stand by, ready and willing to protect citizens. In this state, 90% of firefighters are volunteers. But volunteers are harder to come by each passing year. What is going to happen to the small rural communities if the spirit of service dies with the next generation? And I want to second that question and just say it has already. Yeah. And what are we going to do now that the spirit has died in this generation? I'm sorry to say, excuse me, but there is not also, not only a, a loss or a lack of spirit of service in this generation. But in our generation and the generation below, there is a lack of desire to go when there's a call. Right. There's a serious problem here, folks. And we are going to do our best here at Digging Deeper Media and Panhandle Scanner to make sure that you understand that we appreciate our firefighters and we appreciate those who serve. And we want to do what we can to help the recruitment of young men and women in this industry Mm -hmm. because we need you. What if it was your neighbor's house and your family lived next door? And nobody showed up? For over an hour and you couldn't get them out because they just didn't have enough help. Mm -hmm. You can make a difference. You can save a life. We're going to go ahead and watch this entire 58-minute documentary courtesy of Nebraska Public Media as they explore the alarming situation of volunteer fire departments in crisis. It seems the history of every small town bears the scars of some massive memorable fire, the one that changed Main Street changed lives. 
Bristow, Nebraska, near the South Dakota border, does not forget the time disaster arrived 10 years ago. This year was the Great Bristow Fire 2013, as we dubbed. Joe Mashanik is Bristow's unofficial historian over at Nebraska State Bank. This was the old lumberyard building here, of course. Things, I mean, things progress quickly, yeah. It's why this town, with only 70 people, hopes there will always be a local fire department on duty, even when the time between calls is measured in months. Well, we had a fire we fought back in March, I believe. It was actually at my dad's place. His hay pile caught on fire. And that's the only fire I've fought since I've been on the department, so. Since 2015? Yeah, yep. Bristow's fire department faces an uncertain future, only six volunteers stand by to answer a fire call. Most are over 60, and it's tough to find anyone younger to sign on. Equipment? For years, they've relied on outdated protective gear and a 50-year-old fire truck. It's not just Bristow. Volunteer fire departments all over Nebraska, big and small, wonder if enough people will show up when the fire siren sounds. Anyone in rural America should pay attention because a lot of your volunteer fire departments and ambulance services may have a crisis on their hands. Over a hundred years, there is a group of people who just show up to risk their lives, put out fires, and never expect to get paid. Volunteer fire departments in America, an insane system that should not work. Right, right. It, it shouldn't. Fire service is the only service that relies on volunteers across the nation, you know, and it shouldn't work, but it does. It works in Gehring, Nebraska. The department maintains a fleet of well-kept fire trucks and rescue units. It's a financially stable department, able to keep all that equipment up to date, paid for with a combination of tax dollars, grants, and donations. It's actually two departments. They respond to emergencies inside the city limits and in the rugged terrain of the Garing Valley Rural Fire District, site of some of the biggest wildfires in the state. Nate Flowers serves Gehring as one of the few paid fire chiefs working for a volunteer fire department in Nebraska. I would say it is unique. I, I don't know too many other departments that have that throughout the state of Nebraska, but I do know that um, it works for us. Everyone else on the department's roster, 45 of them, volunteered to be on call 24 hours a day for reasons that seem difficult to comprehend for most of their friends and family. Ah, I think it's a little bit of crazy and a little bit of love for adrenaline and uh, fire and <laughs> also community, like a sense of a community. Most have paid jobs, mechanics and nurses, internet providers, technicians with a gas company, farmers, teachers. I come from a fire family. My 
Dad's been a chief for over 20 years. My mom's on the department, my sisters. And so it is very rewarding. You're um, protecting somebody's house. You're protecting your community or um, your next door neighbor. You wouldn't do it if you had to do it. You volunteer, you volunteer for a fire department because you want to, and that's where the heart is. The volunteer fire service saved my life. I found where I belonged. Gearing is one of 472 fire departments in Nebraska, 15,000 volunteers. That's nine out of every 10 firefighters. Upwards of 87% of the departments in Nebraska are volunteer. So each local community, rather they be a volunteer department, which means there's no compensation. They don't get paid for fire calls. They do not get paid for time spent training. The Garing team trains at least once a week, preparing for a full range of emergencies. Out of the 12 months, man, every year we are so busy offering different classes and opportunities for our members, but our members are the ones that drive that. They get a taste of that and they want more. Training improves how quickly a team can respond to a fire, hopefully reducing the amount of damage or even saving a life. The speed and skill of your local fire department can lower the amount you pay for homeowner's insurance. Here's something that may shock you. Nebraska law does not require any specific training for fire departments or individual firefighters. Each local fire chief is responsible for their own community. Departments will focus on the things they need to do the most because of what they most commonly run on, wildland call or a car accident, an agricultural emergency. Who has not messed with the tools? There are recommended standards from a national fire safety group that departments use as guidelines. But unlike police officers or emergency medical responders, there's no license. A national certification program is available, but not required for volunteers. Training time's precious and limited in many departments because people, volunteers in particular, have a lot of things going on. It's pretty much up to the city of Garing and the fire chief to decide how to plan and budget for emergencies. And this is a very busy department. The number of fires and rescue calls climbs year after year. 20 years ago, we were running 250 calls. Even 10 years ago, you know, where you were running three to 400, we're now lower 900, and I think we ran 986 last year or something like that. It gets very, very taxing on the people. 2022 became the busiest year in the department's history. 12,000 hours spent on fire and rescue calls. The general consensus of the public is, well, there's three or four people down there, and there's truly not. They don't understand that. Like Grant said, you know, we are waking up in the middle of the night. We are coming from our homes and stuff like that, getting out of bed and coming down to the station to respond to calls. It's physically arduous and mentally exhausting, and it's definitely not for everybody. That's the life of a volunteer firefighter, I guess. Despite being well-regarded with solid funding, the Garing Department faces the same unavoidable truth as every other department there are not enough firefighters to answer the steadily increasing number of emergency calls. Uh, I'll be honest, you know, we don't have people knocking on our doors coming in. Those who are willing are not always able. On average, volunteer firefighters are getting older. We kind of did just a look at our 
department internally and seeing our average age was 49. Being a firefighter inside a, a structure fire at 49 years of age can be a little challenging. Gehring is not alone. 62% of the departments find recruiting new members difficult. How do we know? We asked departments across the state using a survey conducted by Nebraska Public Media in cooperation with the Nebraska State Volunteer Firefighters Association. One out of six departments told us if the current recruiting trend continues, the quality of emergency service in their communities will decrease. Many call it a crisis risking public safety. Seconds count in a structure fire, a wildfire, things of that nature. And when you lack the volunteers, yeah, yeah, seconds count. And that becomes pretty challenging and pretty endangering. You know, there's a couple fire departments, you know, speaking the truth, that uh, no longer have the people in their small villages. And they end up dissolving their volunteer fire department or there's nobody that shows up anymore. They're still showing up in Madison, Nebraska just not as many as there used to be. How many volunteers do you have on the roster right now? I believe right now there's 38. How many are really active? Really active? 12, 12 to 15. They made time early on a Saturday morning when the department burnt down a house on purpose, a farmhouse ready for demolition. Veterans and new members get a sense of responding to a working fire. They make me feel that I can do this. And I don't know if that's really understood how much that we come together and have each other's back. Gina Spittler became a new recruit four years ago when she moved to the area after a career in the military. That's where I had done a lot of drills in the Navy and this just kind of fit into it. And I enjoy something that is active. I'm single and so nothing holds me back. So I can be available at any time. And the other side of it is, it's kind of morbid, but if I die helping my community, I'm okay. That's how I feel. Oscar Calderon works at Nucor Steel, where he serves as a bilingual emergency medical technician with the plant's on-site response team. He decided to use those skills after hours on the Madison Volunteer Squad. It's a big commitment, and I understand why people are kind of scared of the commitment. He discovered the unpredictable demands on his time as a volunteer can be a struggle. I feel guilty sometimes too you know, um, sometimes I get off of work, come straight to training night, I get home and my kids are asleep already. So I go the whole day without seeing them. And that's a part of guilt that I get sometimes. It's like, you know, I'm volunteering for this. I choose not to be with my kids because I'm choosing to go help other people, you know, strangers most of the time. Our survey of fire departments revealed the demands on the volunteers' time is the most likely reason people do not join a fire department. Modern work schedules impact how effective a volunteer is within a department. Small town main streets were once lined with local businesses, which understood an employee volunteer might take off for a fire call in the middle of the day. These days, that can't happen on a production line at a packing house, or if you work half an hour away at a chain retail store. 
during the day in town, you have a call, you don't know what you're gonna get for people. Could be two, could be three. Our survey of fire departments around Nebraska revealed fire departments had the lowest number of volunteers respond between eight in the morning and four o'clock in the afternoon. We don't have anybody when everybody's working. A lot of people in our department work outside of town. So we don't have a handful of people that can respond to a call, especially for an EMT or EMS call during the day. Public service, some say, has fallen out of fashion. Only about a third of Nebraskans volunteer for any local groups or organizations, according to AmeriCorps. We've got a lot of old people on the department. You know, not many young kids. There's not much interest. Uh, nobody wants to volunteer. You know, you know, you don't get paid. Why would I do that? Nationally, one out of every four volunteer firefighters are over 50 years of age. In Nebraska, 75% of the departments we surveyed said the age of a volunteer was one of the top three reasons for losing members. Madison is losing guys like Ray Kiefer, still showing up at fires in Madison after nearly 50 years, 17 of those as chief. My wife said, you don't have to go home, but I still beat most of them up here. First one up here a lot of times, so. Losing veteran members means losing a resource. For instance, with Ray Kiefer, the mentorship of the knowledge that they have isn't always passed along. I'm just trying to be a sponge. She said, who's gonna do it, Ray? You're gone, who's gonna do this? That's right, a lot of the young guys won't wanna step up and do any of it. It's deeper than passing along tips on using ladders and hoses. A lifetime in the fire service highlights the great honor that comes with public service. Ray also faced some of the worst realities and understands the toll it can take on a first responder. I sat down one day and countered the fatalities we've had in our district here. I think I got up to 54 that I could remember, just in our district. So, so. <laughs> That's a lot of fatalities, you know. Saved a couple of lives and carried a few out of the houses. And Lost a three-year-old, three-year-old boy one night in the house right here. He was the uh, same age as my daughter. Worst one we had, we got called down to Humphrey one night. We had six of them killed in one accident. So that was, and some of the Humphrey, some of the Humphrey firemen couldn't take it. But we do lose people because of that. And they're just, they don't want to see what they've seen. They can't do it anymore. I was a couple weeks into the department and I, I had an encounter of a fatality on the highway. And it was uh, to a non-English speaking person that was involved in that accident. And I was asked by the sheriff department to tell the husband that his spouse has passed away. So for me, after that call, I went home and I really thought about it. Like, I'm not sure if this is not what I signed up for. I'm not sure I can do this. I can't handle it, you know what I mean? The mentally and physically demanding work, the schedule, attitudes about public service, that's just the beginning of the list of reasons that all adds up to towns facing a public safety emergency. 
If fewer people are going to be stepping up, what happens to a town like Madison? I don't know. It's, it's going to be tough to keep them. It's a bad scenario, and I hope it don't happen. I put that out to the leadership, you know, the city and city council and mayors and rural board that someday this is going to be a problem, how you man these trucks. The demand for volunteer emergency services has never been greater. It's not because there are more fires. Nationally, two-thirds of the emergency dispatches were medical calls and accidents. The increasing number of calls driven in part by the medical needs of an aging population. This community that we live in, there are so many independent elderly people. That's a huge component of, I think, the number of medical calls. Obesity, diabetes, all the other kind of comorbidities that are creating a population that's unhealthy but able to live longer. When an ambulance arrives on scene in Nebraska, 80% of the responders are volunteers. Mullen, Nebraska, the only town in Hooker County. About 500 people live at the crossroads of two highways and a freight rail line. The emergency medical services operates independently from the fire department. So our district is roughly 1,700 square miles, a little bit larger than the state of Rhode Island. We're in the sand hills, so even in a four-wheel drive, sometimes the sand can be challenging. It could be 90 minutes before the EMTs get to the patient. Maybe a rancher thrown from their horse. Someone with hypothermia canoeing the Dismal River. A heart attack on a desolate dirt road. Last year was a record. I think we had 72 calls. And it was, we were flying <laughs> to meet everyone's needs. We had both ambulances out at times. Retired school teacher Sookie Marks began answering emergency calls in 1989. It varies so much. We can have five in a week and then go for a month and not have any. And there's no rhyme or reason to it. We have a service of nine EMTs. Nine doesn't sound like a lot. It isn't, no. We need more. Sarah Harden is a science teacher at the high school. Growing up, her dad had been an EMT. But I also knew there was a need in our community. It was a veteran member of the Mullen Squad who made a convincing case. And he just quite bluntly said to my husband and I, we need young people, and we need young people that are willing to commit to this. Today, the kids in her class are learning about buoyancy by building boats. They know if her pager goes off, Miss Harden might be called away if there aren't enough EMTs answering the call. Truthfully, without places like the school and the bank in our community, we wouldn't have daytime help. The Mullen team trains together a lot, preparing for whatever gets thrown at them. Keeping volunteers in rural areas up to date on best practices in responding to emergencies can be a challenge. The Mullen Ambulance Service called in the Simulation in Motion team from the University of Nebraska Medical Center. This program does thousands of hours of training for small rescue squads in need of continuing education. 
half of the semi-trailer duplicates the back of an ambulance. On the other end is a convincing mock-up of a hospital emergency department. Robot patients stand by to simulate dozens of medical emergencies. Anything that would make them really have to think quickly and how to handle that on a EMS ride that might last an hour or more before they can connect with another service. Instructor Kelsey Miller programs Lucy, the computerized patient. Software alters Lucy's blood pressure, respiration, and even the dilation of her pupils when the instructor wants to make a point. Oh, and Lucy expects the Mullen Rescue Squad to deliver her baby. Delivering a baby in the back of an ambulance, um, that scares folks. The baby is coming! Okay, we're going to take a look at the baby and we're going to take a look at you, all right? Do one more push, Lucy. It hurts. People take this serious, and it really is a different way of training, and there's a different mentality with the folks when they're doing this training. And those moments when you know you have trained and trained and trained, that's what's important for the rural providers, I think, is that continuous training. And I think if my loved one were in the back of an ambulance, I would want to know that the person providing their care has done everything that they can to be the best medical provider that they can be. Okay, Mama. The instructors said the Mullen crew did a pretty good job. A few years ago, a report prepared by an independent agency found the Mullen Ambulance Service to be well-run, successful, and collegial. In Mullen, we have a very generous community. When Mullen needed a new ambulance, a recent round of grants from the state of Nebraska to local EMS squads only covered half the cost of the vehicles. Raising the $281,000 for the ambulance just seemed overwhelming to us when we started, and we've gotten amazing donations. Yet the Mullen service still fears for its future. Older volunteers are ready to step aside. Few of their neighbors appear willing to take on the responsibility. There are consequences. There's probably a number of people that would really have to think twice about living in a community that didn't have this kind of service this close by. If people in your community don't understand the importance of that, that's what happens. I think people die. And there's no nicer way to put that. People die. And if you have to wait for medical care, every minute that you're waiting is life or death. 70 miles to the northwest of Mullen, the town of Merriman will give you an idea of what happens when volunteers stop volunteering. Sandhills Rescue is currently out of service because we don't have enough EMTs to run the service. The power inverter has evidently died. The Sandhills Rescue Ambulance has less than a thousand miles on the odometer, but it sits in the back of the fire station under a thick coat of dust. I am the only EMT and have been since 2017. So it is currently waiting for more volunteers. <laughs> Rose Chapel and Jamie Simmons have been trying to get the community motivated to help out and save their ambulance service. And we can't run the ambulance with just one EMT. The census puts Merriman's population at around 90. 
Those still here are getting older, making the search for volunteers a challenge. You know, the people that have kind of been willing to express at least a little bit of an interest, part of their hesitation is they're also probably 60, 70 years old. We really have not had any interest from the younger generations. And I think that the reason for that is the younger generations are further out of town. So without that working, it drains the battery completely, so we have nothing. The ambulance operates independently from Merriman's 15-member fire department. Jamie and Rose launched their effort to jumpstart the rescue squad, shadowed by a host of long-simmering problems. An independent assessment prepared by the Paramedic Foundation found ineffective leadership was a primary reason for the failure of the system. The budget was a mess, the community lost trust. Once there were eight EMTs, most left. In 2017, the service collapsed. Merriman must now rely on distant towns or a hospital ambulance driven from South Dakota. There's been several deaths that we know of that have happened because they couldn't get EMS there fast enough or they couldn't get them to a hospital. And there's still people unaware they don't have a service running. I think some of the individuals have gotten the idea, we've lived this long without it, we can survive. And I think that's a very dangerous opinion. The Merriman squad might have attracted fresh EMT volunteers, but some recoiled at the cost and lengthy process needed for certification. And that course of training, that level of commitment, I think makes people very nervous. A lot of our people don't want to take the class because they don't have the time. I think the prices have increased for that type of training. They've went up significantly. Sir! Sir! In Norfolk, when an ambulance arrives from the fire department, everyone on the ambulance who touches a patient must be certified to be a paramedic or EMT, emergency medical technician. So there's different skill sets there and different trades that each person has, but everyone's serving the same purpose, helping citizens in a time of distress. This is a full-time paid job for the Norfolk paramedics and EMTs. Any volunteer EMT in Nebraska must meet the very same requirements when a rural ambulance service has authorization to transport the sick and injured to a hospital. From a response perspective, we're all doing the same thing. It doesn't matter if you are a career fire department and run 100 calls a week, or if you're in a volunteer department and you run 50 calls a year. They need the same training, they need the same skill set. These aren't doctors and nurses, but when small town squads transport the critically injured to hospitals, they are the healthcare providers keeping a patient alive. Mullen 99A Ogallala. It's a long trip to the hospital and before you get higher medical care. So it's very nerve wracking. And if I had to take somebody in an ambulance for 15 minutes, that was a long time. Here, these folks could be in the back of an ambulance with a critical patient for an hour or more. And so that's a whole different ball game. Okay, we're in. Good job, Ted. <laughs> Community colleges in Nebraska are the most common provider of classes for paramedics and EMTs. By state law, before treating patients, EMTs must be certified and tested by a national organization. 
keeping that certificate requires another 20 hours of approved continuing education every two years. Nationally, only about one in four students pass that EMT exam on the first try. And it's intimidating. The test is hard. We've had people go through the class and, and do well in the class and not pass the test and never become licensed. So I think all those things are big challenges for especially small communities to get the number of people to try it. So it's, it's crazy. It's just not just us demanding that, but it's everywhere. It, it's a standard. Unlike firefighting volunteers, there is no free state-funded training for those providing volunteer emergency medical care in the field. And somebody takes an EMT class, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I don't know, 60, 50 hours, one night a week for three months, you obtain your certification. Now it's about 200 hours. The demand on that, just on a simple EMT license, it has quadrupled in the past 20 years. School, whereas the EMT programs are run through colleges and you have tuition expenses and departments have to, you know, if they want to incentivize that and pay for your students to go to school, um, it gets pretty expensive. Many small volunteer ambulance services can't pick up the tab for EMT training. Many others have that kind of cash. In Mullen, they have the money and made it a priority. If anyone in our community wants to take the class and become a part of our squad, that we offer to pay for the education for the EMT classes as well as their mileage. That's the impossible trade-off when requiring hours of training in highly specialized skills. Those skills can save lives. And those moments when you know you have trained and trained and trained, that's what's important for the rural providers, I think, is that continuous training of, okay, we've ran this scenario, Here's what we need to do. But there's always anxiety about that. Some state policymakers argue the solution may be relaxing the standards for medical care in the field. It is a tough call for me, but I think the rigor is important and the continuing at hours are important. In Merriman, the rescue squad could not recruit enough volunteers willing and able to commit to the training necessary. The service officially ended operations in fall of 2023. As EMS, we always say that that first hour is the golden hour. You want to have them in the hospital being treated by then. So it's a great loss. It's life and death. It is life and death, literally. A wildfire is a different creature than a house fire. Using tabletop exercises, some fire departments rehearse how to deploy when one busts loose. So who wants to be engines? Weather, terrain, and fuels all figure into how a fire behaves. There's your fire. Because no one department can handle a complex wildfire alone, there are strategies to consider when working with other agencies on the scene. So it's not chaos. They're very much aware of how to respond. Many of the departments mutual aid with each other, which means they assist each other and their fellow communities. It helps me because it realizes the things that where I'm weak at and things that I can improve on as well. Most wildfires begin as grass fires, 
the Gehring Fire Department does what it can to reduce that risk of grass fires, staging controlled burns of dry grass. There's an understanding that wildfire prevention and planning are no longer optional. It seemed like March and April, the weather patterns, we were out every day on, on grass fires. The last three years, last year alone, we increased our call volume by 18%. And that was because of the amount of fires that we had last year in 2022. All right, we'll take another line. The phrase climate change may not get tossed around the firehouse, but you can hear talk of crazy weather all the time. Our volunteer fire departments aren't ready for the world that we live in today. And I think a lot of that is uh, the wildland fire environment. The long-term outlook on the Great Plains, as with the planet, concerns climatologists. Warmer seasonal temperatures appear to be moving north. The climate in central Nebraska 30 years from now is going to look more like southern Kansas. I don't think that Nebraska on the whole is prepared for the changes that are to come. The science indicates the warming of the planet amped up extreme weather. It's arrived with a vengeance. Since 2015, there have been 24 climate-related disasters in Nebraska, each one with losses exceeding $1 billion. Each one challenged volunteer responders, the floods, the windstorms, and increasingly, the fires. The severity of wildfire seasons is going to be amplified in the future. Not every year is going to be worse than the previous year, but we will have significant wildfire years. That's just the nature of how things are changing. Whichever aisle you sit on with climate change, I, I always tell them, I say, I don't care. You just cannot deny that the climate is changing in some fashion because we're not having fire seasons anymore. We're having fire years. Nebraska saw one of the worst outbreaks of wildfires in history in 2022. That year, the Nebraska Forest Service backed up volunteer departments on 54 grassland and forest fires. 250,000 acres burnt. Each of those fires shared the common elements that contribute to longer, severe fire seasons. Low humidity, more dry fuels, high winds. Our weather service reported that they had dang near more high wind warning and watches in the last 12 months than they've issued prior since they started collecting data. Of those who responded in our survey, 75% of Nebraska volunteer fire departments anticipate the risk of extreme weather will increase. With changes that we are seeing and that are projected to happen in the future, we won't have a good sense of normals. That'll make things difficult in terms of planning and preparedness. Especially for emergency responders. Yes. You know, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, you know, and, and then you get punched in the face and, and there goes plan A. You know, I don't know if you can truly plan for something that crazy. The Carter Canyon fire was that kind of crazy. In the rugged Wildcat Hills at the Wyoming border, one of the largest fires in the state's history began on a windy 103 degree day at the end of July, 2022. The Carter Canyon fire was worse than any of us could have expected with the with the fires that were out here. When Gehring firefighters Skip Kelly and Ken Houck drove back into the canyon a year later, the memories remained vivid. It's like mass chaos inside of an oven. 911, what is the location of your emergency? 
Uh, yes, I'm in Banner County, and you got two wildfires that just started based on lightning. Everyone in the canyon heard that thunderclap. Few were surprised by what happened next. Communications. Robert Post, Banner County. We've got three fires out here now. I think probably better get some diesel laid out. We're probably going to need some help. Firefighters in the panhandle knew the drill. Get suited up and head for the smoke. We have two fires actually tied together. They're running north to south. The Gehring Volunteer Fire Department trains for wildfires. Chief Flowers was given incident command, and Ken Houck drove his pumper into the hills. Well, it looked very much like a low-hanging thunderstorm, you know, with big cumulus clouds, but it wasn't. It was a fire, and it was growing very rapidly. How are you guys doing over there? It looks like it blew up there. Let's get into these trees so it might get a little sketchy here in a bit. It was kind of a oh-crap moment. You see that much smoke coming from the hills. My 23 years of being on the fire service, I've never seen a fire move this fast, this hot in this area. Communications, how can I help you? Like, there's still people in these houses up here. They just jumped the road already. They should probably get people out of there. Tucked along the Carter Canyon Road was the Enlow's place on the property that had been in the family four generations. The family and their neighbors knew the risks of fire in the Wildcat Hills. Gary had been trimming limbs away from their propane tank just that morning. It's wonderful to live in the pines and the cedars, but don't let them catch on fire. As they finished dinner, they saw the smoke. Things were ready to burn and it had the opportunity and that's just what it did. Heading up the canyon, Gary watched as the fire pushed up the ridge, throwing red hot embers into the pines and cedars miles ahead. When you see those things just explode mm -hmm. and black smoke going in the distance where you can see it, uh, you're pretty sure you've got a problem coming your way. Hey guys, can I get you out of orchard to help me protect this one house? I can't control the fire, I'm about out of water. There are no hydrants in the hills. By nightfall, everyone wondered if any of the 15 homes in the canyon could be saved. The Enlow's son called 911. 911, let's go in case of your emergency. I need fire support out here. I don't want my parents' house to burn down. I know the fire's coming over the hill, coming straight from my parents' house. We need fire support out here. When you see that plume down any fire, you, you know it's growing very rapidly. It's gonna start creating its own weather. You know, it's creating its own wind. It could move even faster. It was scary, actually, that night, because that's the first time in all my years of fighting fires that I ever had hot embers going down my back. There was no controlling it that night. You just tried to protect what you could and, and move on and hope for the best. The emergency manager has ordered evacuation for all residents. Fire crews from multiple departments did what they could, but they couldn't be everywhere. This is Mitchell 22 on the fire. There is a house on Carter Canyon Road, and the people on the property will not leave. They're trying to fight the fire off themselves. Gary did what he could with the 300-gallon water tank he had available. A fire crew arrived, and he evacuated. It's kind of like a snowstorm out there with embers mm -hmm. and sparks and a thing like that if you've been in a snowstorm or a blizzard. At that time, there wasn't anything else we could do. Zero visibility. 21, what do you think? We need to get the hell out of here. 
Dozens of firefighters and air support from the Nebraska Forest Service contained the fire after a week. On the Enloe's property, most of the trees they loved won't be back for years. But other than a melted plastic fence, the house shows few signs of being surrounded by an inferno. Just one fire, 15,000 acres burnt, including prime grazing land for cattle ranchers. 13 buildings lost, including two homes. I think we're gonna see that trend continue to where we do see some significant growth in fires possibly. Um, I hope it doesn't because, you know, that's destroying people's lives. Some firefighters, skeptical of the climate scientists, believe this is a normal, short-lived cycle. I don't know that I directly believe in climate change. Um, you know, that's what makes this country great. We're all entitled to our opinions. The prospect of more intense wildfires has some Nebraska fire departments rethinking their training priorities. The Nebraska Forest Service does red card training focused on wildfire, historically of interest to departments in the drier and windier regions. Firefighters to the east recognize it's time to pay attention. And a lot of them are like, well, we saw what happened there last year and we'd never seen anything like that this close to us. So we decided we better start taking the training and stuff too. They want to know about what influences the fire in the wildland fire environment. And they also want to know strategies and tactics to keep themselves safer than what they were doing in the past. Over four or five days, it's all about fire behavior, weather, and being aware of situations that can put a firefighter's life in danger. It's like moths to a flame with volunteer fire departments and whatnot. And they always run to the head of the fire. They got to go put the fire out. And they, so they go to where the flames are the biggest, and that's the most dangerous part of the fire. So I think that's why it's important to have this training, especially with our state being covered with 100% wildland fuels. And I remember rule number six, it is be alert, stay calm, think clearly, act decisively. And I really like that. I think it resonates well with kind of what the firefighters do here. One half of the firefighter deaths in 2022 were attributed to overexertion and stress, according to a study by the National Fire Protection Association. In Nebraska, the record number of fires that year put unprecedented pressure on firefighters rushing to help neighbors in the region. From 2020 through 2022, the Gehring City and Rural Departments responded to eight major wildfires, blackening tens of thousands of acres. That's our challenge, is trying to find people to help with these extended events. 35 departments came to the aid in the Carter Canyon fire, some driving 300 miles to help. It's the system known as mutual aid just to bring some of our resources to help out, to basically make us a larger department, you know, coming together. And we've all worked together really closely. We will actually reach out a very long ways. I mean, for uh, hundreds of miles away on a large fire for mutual aid, there is absolutely no way we could handle the size of these fires without it. Three examples from Nebraska's worst fire season. In April 2022, 60 departments rushed to contain the ferocious Road 702 grass fire. That fall, fire swept through the Nebraska National Forest, and 22 departments left their hometowns to help. 
Come spring, when a fire threatened homes around Lake Wakanda along the Missouri River, 45 departments responded from across eastern Nebraska. After these you know, fires go on for days, these individuals are not getting paid. They are taking off time, which is costing them money. And so we all have bills that we have to pay. So it does become an issue. And so getting kind of called over and over and over for all these fires, it was, it was exhausting. It was hard. You know, every other day you're like, oh, here, there's a grass fire here. There's a grass fire here. You're like, oh, my gosh, again? Like, <laughs> what are we doing? As predictions point to more extreme weather, there will likely be greater demands on the network of volunteer first responders. So it seems like we're going to request more from our mutual aid partners. So their call volume's going up. They're requesting from us our call volume's going up because everybody's in it together and, and we're relying on everybody. And there's a greater toll after Nebraska's worst wildfire season. That can be found in the names now etched in granite of the three firefighters who died in the line of duty. John Trumbull, Cambridge Volunteer Fire Department. Darren Cruel, Elwood Volunteer Fire Department. Michael Lee Mooney, Purdom Volunteer Fire Department. Vegetation will grow back, crops will grow back, homes can be replaced, but those firefighters we lost that were part of that response last year will never replace those firefighters. Maybe a record number of wildfires stretching across the state provided people with a better understanding of the importance of the service provided by volunteer fire departments. But until you have something of that magnitude, I don't think it really sets in. And then it's like everybody wants to support the department. Like, oh, these guys are exhausted working their butts off and they're bringing everything you could ever imagine into the fire hall. I think that's when they realize how important these people are to their community. In the Nebraska Public Media Survey completed this summer, six out of every 10 responding fire services told us their communities fully support their work. The firefighters themselves will tell you, once a volunteer gets hooked, there's no turning back. Because it's a tradition that you wanna keep alive and be a part of. You hear it in Madison. It's just fun. Helping people is always great, rewarding. You hear it in Gehring. Your community loves this department. They, they're for this department. Like, it's so nice to be appreciated within the community. You hear it in Mullen. Maybe it's a big thing to some people, but it's a little tiny thing that we can do to give back to the other people in our community. It is interesting for me to hear you say, restarting somebody's heart is a little thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, when you put it that way, it's, it's not a little thing. When you're talking about solutions to the recruitment crisis, you really don't hear anyone calling to end the volunteer system in favor of putting fire crews on the payroll. No one's showing up to get paid. 
obviously. So I, I don't know, would that attract people that otherwise wouldn't volunteer? Is that who we want? <laughs> I think if you had strictly a, a paid fire department or e even a combination, paid and volunteer, I think you'd see your volunteers drop off. You lose your volunteers. You lose the people that matter. You know, the minute you start paying people, things just get really complex. Now it's worth noting that Gehring shares a boundary with the city of Scotts Bluff, which has full-time paid firefighters. The volunteers will tell you they are just fine with a system that doesn't require them to change jobs while still providing a few financial perks for staying. So our department is one of the few that I know that offers an incentive program with a retirement, and we usually get a check at the end of the year. In Gehring, that can be up to $600, depending on how much time a volunteer devotes to in-service and training time. It's a choice for individual departments made possible in state law. Because in today's world, people want to be rewarded for what they provide. At this point, it has to work itself out, just because in these rural counties, we just do not have the financial means to obviously pay some individuals to do some of these things. And you definitely don't hear much talk of turning to state government to take on a big role in managing local fire protection. I think that we definitely would not want the state to take over, only because it's just like school districts. Everyone is different. And there you have it. If there's a common thread in Nebraska's emergency universe, it's that every department is different. 450 combinations of different personalities, community priorities, and landscapes. That's reflected in our survey when we asked for specifics about the challenges facing individual departments. They told us in dozens of anonymous replies that our members are burnt out. There's a lack of support from local government, and in some cases, poor leadership within their departments. Specific departments will need to find specific solutions, but everyone seems to need help recruiting. Recruitment should always be a crisis, and it's gonna to come to a point where you're, you're screaming for help. At times, a fire department may need to look at itself. Town leaders might ask if there are reasons people in town are quitting or not volunteering. They gave this to me 2001 when I retired from chief. After 50 years fighting fires, Ray Kiefer knows there's some history to that, and he's glad there have been changes. Fire departments used to be kind of, you know, I don't know how you say it. They weren't open like they are now. Anytime somebody wants to come in here, they can come in and show them something, but you know, never used to be that way. Kind of a when, private club? Kind of a private club, and when you uh, got done at the fire, the doors come down and that was it. The biggest misunderstanding, and you hear that a lot, is the firemen were probably at the bar or sitting down at the fire hall drinking beer again. There hasn't been alcohol in this building for 15 years. I think that's a thing of the past. At a time when departments unanimously say they need new members, younger members, the old ways will have to give way. Your fire department reflects your community. Yeah, 100%. And, and if your community is, is diverse and uh, you know has different various backgrounds, I think your fire service is gonna be so. Some volunteer departments are finding new recruits by turning to those in town who might have been excluded in the past. I'm trying to always reach out and get other women to come on because I think they'd have a great experience. They just, it's hard to 
get in when it's always been such a male-dominant field. A woman on a fire department on an EMS call is going to be able to deal or handle a call of a woman who was just assaulted in a domestic violence situation versus a man. A Hispanic person who might know Spanish is going to be a very helpful if it's a Spanish-speaking person. There isn't data specific to Nebraska, but Hispanics and Native Americans seem underrepresented at a time when those groups make up 20% of Nebraska's population. I know that Madison has a huge Hispanic population, so at least if I can help out with the language barrier, for me, that was like, you know, I would do my part in that at least. Several departments found a path in attracting high school students interested in firefighting and emergency medical response through a cadet program. We engage them right away. We make them feel like they're a part of this department right off the bat. We get them into the tasks and we show them this is a nozzle, this is the radio, these are SCBAs. We get them in there and we engage them hands-on. It's something that the kids have never experienced before, so they're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. So uh, they feel like they belong, and that's a good thing. There may be a recruiting opportunity at every fire scene. This is great what you guys do. You know, I should probably help out this town more. Do you need any help? And I always need help. Sucking in air here, sucking in air. It's the same for training exercises out in public, those opportunities to show off. In fact, training doesn't just recruit new members, it also keeps current members engaged. Statistically speaking, training helps keep people on board. Uh, not only within Nebraska, but we know based on national surveys that have been conducted by other organizations, training becomes a great retention tool. Paying for training is one of the biggest contributions state governments provide for local departments. The big thing is always safety for us, you know, being able to watch over it, control it, manage it. The state fire marshal's office provides training to any department free of charge in the classroom and in the field. I think it becomes an opportunity for people to understand how different departments work. I'm more comfortable overall going in and doing the job that I'm supposed to do. You can make training fun. Be careful with him. He's very delicate, very fragile. Some departments, Madison included, at times train independently of the fire marshal with the same goals in mind. When we train, we try to make actual scene. Really anybody can go out there and hook the hoses to the truck and take five minutes doing it. But if you got two minutes at the most, you know, to pull everything out and hook it up, that's when you find the problems. No, we gotta figure got it out. And that's where I wanna be prepared when I'm out there because it's not only my safety, but it's everybody's safety. When you go into that structural fire, you have to look at everything. You can't just jump in. You have to first identify what is needed so that everyone can be safe. Training, if done right, is something that's interesting and creates unique friendships in a small town. There's a lot of camaraderie in the fire service, fellowship. And when you spend time training together, learning new skills, there's that sense of a bond that's created because we did it together. You become a fire department family. And that brings us back to Bristow, the town on Nebraska's northern border. Small fire department, aging volunteers, old equipment. 
On the smallest of scales, Bristow found solutions to keep the department alive. They remembered public safety as a priority. When three of the aging firefighters retired, it was not surprising that three other guys stepped in to fill their boots. It could be a matter of saving one life that we got there five minutes sooner, having us right here. When it was clear the 1972 Ford F-600 fire truck needed to retire, the entire town stepped up. I think the town gets us just recently when we got our new truck purchased, the town put up $5,000 to help purchase the truck. So they understand the need to keep stuff updated and keep us around too. So I mean, the community supports us pretty well that way, I'd say. It's a four-wheel drive 83 GMC Sierra, bought used from a fire department in Oklahoma. Almost new by Bristow standards. The town chipped in enough money to buy fresh bunker gear, hand-me-down coats and boots and helmets, bought in an online auction from a German fire crew. We do pretty good that way. We don't have a big budget. We don't need a big budget. It's a source of pride for Bristow that their own volunteer fire department remains on duty but only because some people in town took on the responsibility to show up when needed. There are over 400 volunteer departments in Nebraska, hoping someone is standing by to do the same. So that was pretty interesting. And yes, and they are going to continue to show that on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, and on their website, Nebraska Public Media, and on their Facebook page. You can get a link to it there. And we have an article as well, The Need for Firefighters. It's called uh, Firefighter Shortage! Exclamation mm -hmm. point. That's an article in our blog at diggingdeeper.net. And that's going to do it as we look at the different credits here on the screen. Uh, big shout out to all of the folks at the Gearing Fire Department, as well as the rest of them, the different departments there. Appreciate everybody's input on that. We also saw Brandy Ehlers was one of the panelists at the showing down at the Midwest Theater, as mm -hmm. well as Nathan Flowers. So really great to see all those folks um, participating in that educational time of letting folks know how desperate they are for help. And so go down call go see get in touch with someone at your local fire department or ambulance service and please volunteer and thank you for listening to the ugly truth because they can't stop us because we're ready to fight trying to brainwash us but we won't let freedom die the whole world's brainwashed everybody pick a team start a riot in the streets the whole world's The Ugly Truth, hard to listen to, but impossible to ignore.